All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show. We are very excited that you joined us. If you haven't tuned in, this is the show where we talk to celebrities, thought, and industry leaders to really discover their journey to success. I am super excited that you're joining us. This show is like no other, I can promise you that. You might laugh, you might cry, but you will definitely leave inspired and gain a whole new level of insight into those people that you follow, love, and admire. Welcome to another mini episode Monday. For those new to the show, every Monday, Jake will be bringing you bite-sized clips from interviews he's done, sales calls he's been on, or simply his hot take on a given topic. In this week's episode, Jake sat down with YouTube sensation, John Barr. John started his career as a baseball play-by-play announcer and later took his talents to YouTube, where he's amassed 250,000 avid followers who consistently show up to view his travel content. As always, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss out on any future episodes of the Jake Dunlap Show. Now, enjoy this week's episode with John Barr. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Jake Dunlap Show, uh, where we talk to leaders, influencers. I think maybe you'd call yourself like an influencer. I don't know, but you probably like, (laughs) nobody really, like a lot, some people like the title, some people don't, Um, you know, about their stories. And so today's guest uh, has spent nearly a decade, well, he spent nearly a decade as a baseball broadcaster before knocking his travel YouTube channel out of the park. I hope you all got that pun. I thought it was pretty strong. Uh, He is now one of New York City's top video creators after vlogging his way around the world. Talk about having a worldview. He's visited 34 countries, 49 U.S. states. I'm, I'm also at 40. I'm at 48 U.S. states. Just FYI, Hawaii, and everyone's always shocked, and North Dakota. Those are my two that I'm I'm missing. He has over 250,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube and over 44 million lifetime views. Please join me in welcoming the king of the one dollar New York slice, <laughs> Mr. John Barr. John, thank you for joining him. Thank you, Jake. That was a, a very amazing intro. I. I wish every podcast would introduce me like that. No, really, thank you so much. And I don't know if I visited 49 states. This is a big debate because I was in the airport in Denver. So I added Colorado to the list with that. So you tell me if that counts because I could change my bio and put 48 then. Well, what did you do in Colorado? What was the Colorado? It was literally just a layover in the airport to go mm. to go home. Yeah, I count that in mine. I've okay. got some of those probably. Like, I mean, or well, I've definitely driven through and I count those. For sure. Yeah, I, that account for sure. Yeah, drive through counts. If I stopped and grabbed, you know, went to a gas station or something like that. So, all right, so let's jump into it, man. So you all listen to the podcast. You know, we, we kind of talk about people's stories, and I really want to get into, you know, what he's up to now as well. But, you know, born in Jersey, you know, mid to, you know, mid to early 1980s. You know, what was it like in you're in Fairlawn, which is, you know, like a suburban area is probably the you know, best way to describe Fairlawn. Like, what was life like? For early, early John, you know, growing up before, you know, you, you kind of made your way to the big city. <laughs> well, Fairlawn, New Jersey, where to begin? Uh, maybe how I guess my family ended up there because my parents uh, immigrated to uh, the United States from Ukraine, which, you know, nobody really cared oh, so much about until recently. And now a lot of people are hitting me up like, is your family from Ukraine? Like, you, know, you still have relatives there, which is absolutely crazy right now. But they moved uh, with a lot of Soviet Jews in the late 70s. There was a way out for them. And uh, they immigrated to Brooklyn, where they spent about, I think, four years. And it's ironic because 
they started in Brooklyn and moved to the suburbs, and I went from the suburbs to Brooklyn, so everything's come full circle. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, growing up in Fairlawn, um, I don't want to use the word boring, but I, it's kind of the word that comes to mind, I guess, after, you know, living in New York City for a decade. I, I'm not saying it's it's a bad way to grow up, but, you know, you're pretty sheltered over there. Uh, sure. Most of the kids look like you. It was very white, very Jewish, very Italian. Again, you know, nothing against that kind of an upbringing, but it it wasn't that exciting. The best part was living near New York City and having that access. Now, I, I didn't go to the city as much as I would have liked to, I guess, as a kid, but I went to Yankee games. I went from time to time. So I grew up with like that pace of life. Uh, you know, just people in Jersey are similar to people in Long Island, people in Staten Island, Brooklyn. Yeah. It, you know, it's a similar pace of life so that was never like a shock for me uh but you know Fairlawn it's like the kind of town you just you're there because your parents probably work in New York City or you have some reason to be in the area like my dad used to commute to the city uh my mom worked nearby but yeah I mean it, it was it was nice but again I always found myself kind of bored to be honest with you that's like the first yeah. memory that comes back there's a lot of good things about Fairlawn but just looking back on it it was just a pretty simple boring childhood yeah i mean it's probably like a lot of suburbs like what and, and obviously it's i mean you got into baseball later but what was like where does the love for baseball come from probably originally from my older brother so i have a twin brother and then we uh we have an older brother who's 10 years older so he got me into all the local teams like the yankees the islanders the jets the knicks so i was a you know a yankee fan growing up and uh, i actually did not make my high school baseball team i played i played like recreationally growing up but my team sure. my you know my my town was pretty competitive, so I think that was like one of the early warning signs that, like, okay, you're, you know, you're never going to be a professional athlete. You can't even make your high school team. But <laughs> I, I, I was always a sports fan as a kid, so it just kind of came natural. And what did I mean? What was like? What kind of student were you? Like, what were some early memories that you have about you know? I guess like high school and those you know, those formative years. I think I was always a, a pretty good student. I, I didn't really get into trouble. Me, my twin brother and I always joke about that. Like we, we never gave our parents a hard time with anything. I never. See, I, that's why you thought it was boring, though. Yeah, right? because I, you were Yeah, you weren't up raising hell in Fairlawn. You know, like I mean, honestly, like the the big thing the kids in my town did growing up in even let's say in high school is drive around. Like you'd go to the back of CVS or you'd go to Seven Eleven. We'd go to somebody's house and go to the basement. I mean, sure, people were out partying. I'm sure doing some drugs and drinking, which I did not do. I think I had one beer in high school at uh, one party at the end of my senior year. That was all wow. of my drinking in high school. So, yeah, I, I guess it's my fault that it was boring. Maybe I was the boring <laughs> one. Fairlawn wasn't that boring. <laughs> yeah, it's like like a pe- anyone from Fairlawn right now is like, God, oh, this guy's the boring one. He's the boring you know? one, yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, all right. So, good student, grow up. You go to, and then you go to Rutgers, right? So, you stay in Jersey, not yeah. too far away in New Brunswick. What were, you know, what, why Rutgers? What was it about Rutgers that was, you know, exciting for you? Rutgers actually was not my top choice. My top choice was Boston University. Problem was, even at that age, I got admitted. And I, I got a letter from them when I applied for financial aid. And it says, you've qualified for a student loan of like $20,000. Like, this isn't a scholarship. This is a loan. And even at that point in my life, I realized, like, I don't want to be paying off loans until I'm 40. Yeah. 
Rutgers, my parents were willing to help me with. Back then, the tuition was something like $13,000 a year in-state. I don't know. It must wow. be a lot more right now. Oh, I bet. This was like 2002 when I graduated high school. So it was have my parents help me if I go to the state school or dig myself a financial grave early on. And I know a lot of kids don't care about that. But for me, I saw the, the amount of uh, dollar bills on that. I'm like, mm, I'm just going to stick to Rutgers. Yeah. And so what was college like? And how did you pick, you know, journalism and media studies? So again, you mentioned you like sports growing up, you know, obviously, you know, weren't the best, but that's okay. Most, not, most of us didn't go pro. Shocking. <laughs> exactly. um, and then what was it about journalism, you know, and media studies that was exciting for you? So I, uh, I actually went to college not really knowing what I wanted to study. I mean, I think as a kid, I was always very like, inquisitive. I, I always loved to ask questions. That was never an issue for me. I was just always really curious about everything. And I believe my freshman year, I somehow got this idea about doing student radio. Uh, I had no background in anything multimedia, yeah. nothing in high school. I called the radio station and I said, hey, what do you guys have over there? And he told me some of the departments. Like, we have a sports department. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. And they said, "Right." like, yeah, and they get to travel to the away games with a team. I'm like, oh, did you say travel? I'm like, okay. And I, like, the next week went and I joined. This was the end of my freshman year. So I would say joining the uh, student radio station, WRSU, that got my love for journalism going, specifically right. like sports broadcasting. And I realized, like, okay, Rutgers is a journalism school. They have a journalism program, media studies. That was the closest thing that I could do that I thought was relatable to uh, to radio. So it was just an easy and choice to major in uh, journalism there. Got it. And did you, I mean, as a part of this, but then at what point, because you, you were doing some play-by-play, -play, right, in, in college too, yeah. right? Didn't you start like Jersey Pilots? Like well, So, so yeah. what was it? I mean, obviously, so you start to like really early on like this kind of, I don't know, not just radio, um, you know, type of interaction. But what was it, you know, in college, was it just like, hey, I need to get a job? Or was it like, hey, this is like a really cool opportunity um, and, and tell people who the Jersey Pilots are who, who don't know? Wow, that that's that's really that's a long time ago. That was the summer of two thousand five. I was going from my junior to my senior year of college, and it was a, a collegiate base, a summer collegiate baseball league. So how those worked is like at the top of the chain, you have the Cape Cod League, which has a lot yep, of players yep. that will get drafted the next year, and a lot of uh, future major leaguers play in that league. And then you go lower and lower, and the Jersey Pilots were in then, I think it was the Atlantic Collegiate Baseball League. It was a lower-level league of a lot of guys in the, in the tri-state area, so we had some Rutgers players on right. the team. And that was just a volunteer thing I did with my twin brother. He also did he also did broadcasting at the time, which we'll probably talk about a little later on, how we one time broadcast for different teams actually we did it multiple times but one time we put ourselves in the same booth for two professional teams which had never been done before apparently with twins but uh yes yeah, so, <laughs> that's like in the guinness like, yeah yeah but twins in the same broadcast booth broadcasting minor league baseball for different teams yeah yeah that was that was interesting but uh yeah it was just a, a summer gig that got me some very valuable experience doing sure. uh, baseball play-by-play -play. yeah yeah, and how good, I mean, do these, do, is there like tapes or YouTubes of this that exist? 
Like, do you know if there are? Because I feel like this would be a great addition to your to your YouTube channel too. Is like listening to you know almost senior, you know, you doing play by play, probably in like an oversized baggy suit of some type, right? Like that I, we all owned in like the early two thousands. You know, I I actually have covered a video or two talking about my background that i have some television demo tapes like this was way down the road though this was like you know seven eight years after this where i was wearing a suit and doing a game on msg varsity which doesn't even exist anymore but it was you know like fancy high school stuff and um but i don't these original clips like i probably have them buried somewhere in email but i (laughs) i would never put them on youtube you'll never put them out there no you know what i'm getting a flashback to those like audition tapes do you remember there was this meme on espn remember this guy's like boom goes to dynamite i know exactly what you're talking about yeah that was that was the guy who did like a terrible job in his college uh tv debut his college tv and it, he, he had a catchphrase and well, we'll link we'll definitely link to this in the, the show notes and it, and it would just boom goes the dynamite and it was like really awkward and he said it like 15 times and it's definitely worth a watch it's oh yeah 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 I, i'm sure if i if i listen to the tapes from that i'd probably sound like i was 15 years old like i I, yeah. I don't i don't think my voice dropped that much at that point it took like years <laughs> of practice Oh, exactly. So, all right. So then you graduate and, and you're like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. So you got everything, Vermont Mountaineers, right? And then you kind of have like a string of, you know, Vermont, El Paso Diablos. Uh, <laughs> then you, and then after that, so so you kind of go into broadcasting after, like, was it just a, a logical thing that you were interested in? Like what, you know, obviously you have this, you know, media journalism, you've got a love for baseball or this passion for it at the time. You know, what was it that made you, I guess, like go into that? And then you do some freelance writing, so again, like, what was it about like that world that was so enticing for you? I think just doing it so much in college, like you know, getting to broadcast a Rutgers bowl game and, and seeing like the women's basketball team. We went to Cleveland, I think, for the uh, Sweet Sixteen when they lost to Tennessee. Uh, like we, we saw some pretty big time matchups, so I love the excitement of it. I like the journalistic side of it that you know you were informing people, but also there was a certain uh, th- how do I put this theatrical element to doing play by play, which I really started to like down the road because radio is the theater of the mind. And as I did it longer and longer, and I started to try to emulate like big league announcers, I'd really listen to a lot of games and they would do things that I would listen to and think, wow, I got to try that on my broadcast. And, you know, example, I don't know, it'd be something like if it's baseball, um, Line drive down the right field line. That is a foul ball. Like just the way you inflect your voice, people like get excited. So I like I, 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 I like the power a little bit. I thought it was neat to like get people all like, interested in hanging on every word. Maybe it was a little bit of a power trip, but no, I just liked informing. Like I really just wanted people to know what was going on. So it, it combined a lot of different elements, like entertainment, information, yeah. love of sports, storytelling. I, I yeah, so it was just the perfect job for me i love it man yeah i can imagine i mean do you ever sneak in like i i'm trying to think just a bit outside like do you, do you like, so you, like you gotta sneak in like some like of a bob Uecker, t- like a like a yeah, bob for, i'm sure over the years i must have snuck that in somewhere <laughs> yeah you had to snuck in some of those yeah. like those were some like great classics. oh yeah um so okay so you continue to do this then you move into again i guess you know great falls like broadcasting so is this your, your, your kind of, are you now away from the mic? Are you doing like more, you know, kind of broader 
you know, again, like I know you're still doing kind of announcing and things like that, but you kind of move into these more called like broadcaster. You're still doing some, you know, reporter and play by play. Is it just you're doing a lot more at this point of like more than just the, the play by play? Well, I mean, so, some of those jobs also had media relations, which was good to have the journalism background. So there was writing involved. It wasn't anything too fancy. It was a lot of like press releases. We would do things like called game notes where you would like write up the storylines for the game and have these statistical packs and, you know, breaking down uh different like statistical trends like i remember one time like i would just find these things there was a guy and he was this pitcher in my summer league and he gave up one earned run the whole regular season and then the next year i came to the team and he gave up one earned run and i found out it was the same day and his last name was Murray, so I called it Groundhog's Day. And everyone's like, how did you do that? I'm like, I just got lucky with that. Like, you'd have to find these little statistical yeah, yeah, like, yeah. abnormalities. So it was fun for me. So, yeah, there was a lot of, like, writing and media relations. And, yeah. And what, I mean, so, I mean, is there a point in here? I mean, at this, at this point in your career, like 2010, you know-ish, are you, is this the career path? Are you like, look, I want to go be a big league announcer. I want to go be a you know, whether it's major league or maybe a different you know, sports, like, was that the path for you at that point? You know, I, uh, I wasn't picky. I just wanted to get to the highest level possible. So, uh, originally I thought baseball was going to be the answer, but my last season broadcasting baseball was 2010. And, you know, unfortunately with the sports broadcasting world, you can, you can lose gigs due to politics, you know, yeah. uh, without getting too specific. I, I believe what happened was, general manager left and a lot of times when somebody leaves and they were and they yeah. hired you the new person might not like you as much and they might want to get somebody else even if you do a good job so baseball sort of fizzled after that and then i thought that my path was going to be through television through doing college football college basketball uh like any uh any sport that was televised and I had a bunch of years of experience doing Division One basketball at a small school called Wagner College in Staten Island. Yeah, I know they were they were they had a couple of decent teams, but um, are you living in Staten Island at this time? Or are you? I, I was still in Jersey. I was in Jersey living with my parents until uh, 2011, which many people find shocking. But there's two things that they don't realize: one, the cost of living in the tri-state area is insane, and when you're making you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year tops in North yeah. Jersey, you can barely afford an apartment. And two, I was traveling so much trying to get these jobs that I couldn't really get a, a lease. Like I, I didn't want to get a one year lease in an apartment if I kept moving. Yeah. Yeah, that's what a lot of people don't realize too, is like with these jobs. So my 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 first job out of college was also in sports. I was in sales though. So I worked for the Tampa Bay Rays okay. back in two thousand. This had been oh three, oh four, oh five, where we were the worst like the worst team ever. And people don't realize that when you work in sports, they pay you horribly Oh yeah, because they're like, well, someone else is going to take your job. You know, it's like constantly that, like you're lucky to, and then I worked for the, like, I moved to Phoenix and worked for the coyotes. And then after that, I'm like, I'm getting out of this. I'm going into tech. Um, you know, I was like, <laughs> I, I can't, I was like, I, was like, I, I want to be able to forward season tickets for teams that I love, you know? So like, you know, Chiefs. that's what I did. As soon as I started making money, I immediately bought Kansas city chiefs tickets which this is like late 2000s. We were not very good. Um, and early 2010s. And then my, then I got married and my wife's like, what are you doing? 
like we don't go we go to one game a year like stop buying season tickets so <laughs> for everyone out there sports sounds cool but you know and it, if you're doing it for the love fantastic but eventually you want to try to make a little bit of make a little bit of money and so so how do, how did that move go, go so then you go on with time warner cable and then to msg varsity so you start to kind of go down this path you know like what what made you i guess want to start the youtube channel well oh i feel like i just i at that point towards the end of my my television run because i did two years of time warner cable and i lost that job because the station closed i was doing sideline reporting and some other stuff for them and uh, I was working for this high school sports station, which when it started was really pretty prestigious in the New York area. It was called MSG Varsity. And for those who live yeah. in New York, they know MSG is a of huge course. television network. So this was just like a little subsidiary of them, but it sounded and it was a big deal. And we have some amazing high school sports in the area. So the way I saw it was, all right, these are this is premier high school sports. I could do this. It'll give me tape. And this can get me back to the collegiate level. And, uh, you know, I got close uh, a couple times. And it was, what was it, 2015 in the summer. I had written agents. Some were interested. But nobody ever pulled the trigger. And there was this one conference that I wrote. And they said, okay, we think we can take you. Here's some games we're broadcasting on ESPN3, ESPN2. I'm like, oh my god. I've worked all these years. I think I'm finally going to get this. And then the guy calls me like a week or two later. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. We actually can't fit you in. And then I thought to myself, what was it? It was summer of 2015. So I, had, I was just about to turn 31. Like I spent nine years in this. I have not gotten to the national level. I don't know if I want to do another year of these regional high school broadcasts. I decided to stop. I'm like, I'm just going to take a break. And that was sort of where YouTube magically appeared. And what was it, I mean, about YouTube? I mean, for you, I guess it's just a chance for you to, like, you don't have to wait on anybody, right? You can just do it yourself. You know, you don't need somebody to do it. But what was it about, I guess, like, you know, how did you come up with the idea for the channel? And then, you know, and, and I don't know how much it evolved over time. But, you know, what was it about, you know, again, starting your own YouTube? And then, and then maybe at what point, too, were you like, oh, this is what I'm going to do? Like, I, this is going to be like a thing that I do versus a, you know, a hobby. That's a, that's, good. that's a great question. So what happened was I left sports broadcasting uh, about the summer of 2015. And uh, I really wasn't doing anything that creative for uh, a little while. And I just felt this huge void in my life. Um, I was doing odd jobs. And uh, I was watch I, I remember exactly how it happened. I was really big into travel. I really started to get the travel bug around like 2010, 2011. I was traveling internationally with my twin brother a lot before I found my girlfriend now wife. She became my main travel partner, as it usually happens. Yeah. And um so just got this travel bug and I, I was a big fan of a blog. It was I think it was the points guy maybe and they did an article saying, this YouTuber is angry. He lost status with, I think it was American. It was Casey Neistat, who is <laughs> one of the most famous uh, vloggers in YouTube history. Now, at the time, I never watched YouTube vlogs. And this is 2015. It was just getting bigger. Yeah, it's just starting to really Just starting to explode. I only watched YouTube for like 80s music videos, movie scenes, 
I was there to search. I wasn't really a consumer of YouTube. And when I saw this video, something just clicked. Like, here's a guy doing all this multimedia stuff. He's talking to the camera. He's moving around. He's showing the flight. And it was, I think, March or April of 2015. Excuse me, 2016. And my girlfriend at the time, Adriana, and I had planned to go to Spain to just try to live there for a few months. And I thought to myself, why don't I document this in a vlog style like this guy? I mean, it's Spain. I can show people what we're doing. Yeah. So I just got this idea. And my first ever video was in May 2016, flying from New York to Madrid. That was my absolute first video. And then from there, like what, like at what point are you like, Again, if you guys are you're starting to travel, you're doing all this, like, are you like, this is going to be a thing? You know, is there ever a moment where you're like, I'm going to go back to broadcasting or, I, you know, I want to get back in the mix? Like, was there a moment like that or was there a moment where, you know, and maybe it's like when you got your first check or, you know, like, how did you start to think about monetizing? But I'd love to hear, you know, again, like, because it's such a big leap for so many people, you know, so how did you kind of make that leap and what were the drivers for that? You know, I'll be honest. Uh, I mean, most people probably figure this out fast. There's there's not a lot of money in YouTube at first. There's very few channels that will explode right away. I think you have to have a, a blind leap of faith to expect people to watch your content. I always just thought to myself, like, what I'm creating is valuable. Like, I always thought, even though yeah. looking back on it about si almost six years later, I think those videos were terrible. At the time, <laughs> well, That's thought, how you get better, man. Yeah. That's how you get better. You look back and you see... You know, at the time, I just had a blind faith that this is going to lead somewhere. But, like, even my first year doing YouTube, not only did I not get one cent, I didn't even do a single free activity. I think one year later, when I went to Hawaii, we started to do trades with companies. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, there's value where I could offer them my audience in exchange for an activity. Then, maybe a year after that, I started to see money coming in from like ad revenue which wasn't much and then when i really started to focus in new york city all of a sudden just like wham the floodgates after a few months and yeah. then the money started coming about like 2018 and here we are about four years later it's been very consistent uh as far as like making it a full-time career since then what you what did you do during those early years to make ends meet you know, obviously you had a, you know, I don't know if a girlfriend at the time, but you know, what did you do as you're building this to kind of continue to pay bills? I mean, a lot, a lot of it was like savings and investments, just like doing, uh, you know, temporary work wherever I could as well. Uh, like, well, like whatever I could find. Uh, but it was, you know, it wasn't fulfilling. I just always had this idea that YouTube was right. going to be the answer. And is there a point, though, where your girlfriend's like, look, John, I know you <laughs> like this YouTube thing, right? Like, but, you know, like, what are you going to go do X or, or, or Y? No, I mean, I, I don't think she was ever like that. I, I don't know. She was she was always really supportive of uh, everything that I wanted to do. And I just think she believed in me. I think she saw that I was really confident about this, maybe because I had a background in doing broadcasting. She yeah. thought that I would I would persevere. So no, I don't think she pressured me. I think it would have been worse if I would have done this maybe if like at forty and we have kids yeah, and exactly. mortgage. I think it was a very opportune time to do it because I was still I don't know if I'm young anymore. I'm thirty seven now, but I was in my early thirties, so 
to me, it didn't feel that risky because I'd already done a lot of risky stuff by being a broadcaster and barely making any money for about nine years. So, like, chasing something else was not that hard for me. Yeah, and you're used to making it work without having all this money and building exactly, a lifestyle yeah. where you have to make 200 or whatever thousand a year. Oh, yeah. And then, and then the New York Post article, right? And, you know, talk where you kind of came out where you, again, documented whenever you got cancer. Right. Which obviously is like a very personal moment to share. This is like 2017. And again, you talked about like kind of that starting to focus on New York, you know, talk about that experience. I mean, it's, it had to be a very, you know, I don't know, man, an intimate, vulnerable moment to be able to share that with so many people. And, you know, was that something that kind of got some initial attention, you know, it, you know, attention, and obviously you've used it to the, the benefit from a awareness standpoint, right? Awareness for, you know, young men and making sure they're focused on getting exams, et cetera. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've definitely tried to uh, bring that topic to light, how testicular cancer is the leading cancer for, I think it's men under like 35, like 18 to 35. Um, a lot of men who get testicular cancer, they, a lot of them have one thing in common I've seen, and it's that we think we're invincible because a lot of us don't go to doctors anymore. You know, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great time. You're young, feel physically fit. I was going to the gym. You know, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink much. There wasn't really, I don't have a family history of cancer. Um, so, you know, we were in Mexico and I was just starting to get a little bit of an audience over there. We were living there for a few months. My wife is from Mexico. So we were in Mexico City for two months. And uh, we were actually <clears throat> documenting a video about volunteering in a school for blind people. And we were te helping them with their English. And uh, it was the weirdest thing because <clears throat> I was just about to shoot my outro for a video and I just got this like sharp shooting pain from like my groin up to my stomach where I had to like sit down and I didn't use that cut on the video, but I had the cut, which right. I later used in my video telling people that I had testicular cancer. That was literally the moment that I realized like something's wrong and uh, you should. It was the the post headline was, I think it was vlogger captures exact moment that cancer strikes. I mean, that's exactly that's what it crazy is. headline. But that's not really true because I think the cancer was there for months. But you know, that worked for them. Um, so what I didn't realize at the time <clears throat> was my wife had a boyfriend when she was eighteen who died of testicular cancer. It was the craziest irony. And so when I told her that I had pain there and that it wasn't going away for like a few hours, she's like, go to the emergency room, go to the emergency room. She's like, oh, something, wow. something told her to send me and like that very well could have saved my life because we found out originally the doctor, the first doctor who saw me is like, you probably got a hernia because I went to the gym. He's like, I predict you have a hernia. But they're like, just in case we're going to do, uh, what was it, an ultrasound down there? And, and the technician saw it immediately. He's like, yep, you have a tumor. And it was like, I don't know, definitely the most surreal moment of my life. Because like sitting on a, like a cold table in Mexico in a foreign country and you're getting this kind of news and you're just like, where did this come from? Like, I, I, I didn't know I could get cancer. I thought that was for older people. It was the complete biggest shock I've ever heard. So, you know, everything moved pretty fast. And uh, thankfully, it, it didn't spread it's been uh, almost five years, actually. Next month will be five years. That's awesome. I have one more scan to go, and then I'm cleared. Uh, but 
it was a stage one seminoma testicular cancer and it was absolutely like the craziest thing that's ever happened to me and that was you know really just shocked and sad for a little bit but i i was just like i'm ready i was ready for all the results and it was scary and they did surgery but i never had to do chemo or radiation i was very fortunate it was like almost the best case scenario you could get in that situation i decided to make a video about it um which was really, really hard to film. Like, I'd never filmed oh, anything man. like that before. And even in the video, you could see that I was just coming off a tough period, if anyone watches it. Um, but this, you know, what's crazy is I've had people, so many people over the years reach out to me that they found my channel through that and not my other content, which, you know, right. is great. Uh, I've had a lot of men write me, asking me questions about all sorts of things. And yeah, I was, I mean... I, I didn't choose to get testicular cancer, but I am happy that I had a medium at least. I wasn't sure. just an average – I mean, I'm not better than anyone else, but I had an audience where I could share this. So I feel like if it had to happen to somebody, it happened to me, and I, I did the best I could with it. And I hopefully informed a lot of men to be aware of it. Yeah, I mean, that's great, man. And again, being able to talk about it and talk about it openly – Again, because a lot of people, and I think it's just crazy to think like your girlfriend had had an experience and said that immediately, or how many you know people in your early thirties or late twenties are like, ah, it, it'll be fine, like it's nothing, right? And then exactly. she was there too to to just urge you on, which is pretty, which is pretty wild. So, all right, so as you're doing this, you're obviously getting involved there, which is great. And then the YouTube channel, what was the desire to focus on New York? When were you like, hey, this is going to be my thing? I want to be known for this. Oh, uh, it was it was a, a bunch of factors. I would say one was we traveled so much, and the problem with being a travel vlogger on YouTube is that you have to travel for a living. I mean, I have seen some that will do things like go to a country for I don't know a few weeks and film like a video every single day, then go back to the USA or Canada, edit them, and spread this out over the course of a few months. I never did that. I was always more, I'm going, whatever I film, I'm going to edit it right away. So you used to constantly be traveling, and then you'd build up these audiences in other countries. And once you left the country, they wouldn't watch anymore. Like, I had this big issue in Mexico with that, where I was there for four months at one point, and I lost, like, 90% of my viewers after I left. Uh, wow. So that was frustrating. And also, around that time... Uh, my wife came to New York for good, and we got married. And as anyone knows who marries someone who's not from the United States, that process of getting a green card could take over a year. So we really couldn't – I could leave the U.S., but she couldn't, and I didn't want to travel without her. So I realized, like, why don't I really double down on New York City content? You know, I did some research, and I saw that there were these channels that would come to New York and make a few guide videos – and get hundreds of thousands of views. And I'm thinking, like, I live here. I don't really do much in my own city. There's, like, a, a gold mine here. Why yeah, don't I do some inf informational content and make it fun and help people? I was, at that point, living in New York for, like, six or seven years. So I realized, like, I, I don't have to travel to do travel content because a lot of travelers are watching the New York yeah, stuff. No shit. They're like, hey, we're coming to New York, man. Like, yeah. It's cool, all these other things. But there's, a, a, you know, a million things to do. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then also... You can travel while you're in New York. I went to Jackson Heights a week ago, and, you know, we're eating Bengali food, and there's Indian food, and there's Colombian food, and there's Nepalese food. It's like different neighborhoods are like different countries. I know, man. That's that was that's what I miss most about New York. 
you know, we've been in Austin for a while and I love it. It's like, hey, we want Turkish. It's like, well, what kind of Turkish? Yeah, exactly. I want want Indian. Like, whoa, whoa, you got to be more specific. You know, are we talking Southern, Northern, you know, like what type and like what type of Southern Indian, you know, like, so that, that is definitely the thing that I miss the most is like that, you know, like, but how's, but how's the, how's the Mexican food over there? Probably phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, look, well, it depends on who you ask. Let's put it that way. Right. There's certain (laughs) people that are like, you know, it is what it is. So, all right, man. So you're starting to build the blog again. Like you're starting to go more and more deep into New York. Like what are the things now that get you excited you know, just kind of start to you know kind of start to wrap up just a little bit but I, i'm just curious you know what are the things that get you excited to continue to be passionate about sharing stories about new york etc i would say my favorite type of video to make although it doesn't necessarily get the most views would be local guides to neighborhoods with someone that either grew up there or has lived there for a long oh, period of time uh because i I feel like I'm in a foreign city sometimes. I'll go to some neighborhood I never heard of and we'll walk around for a bunch of hours and they'll show me their favorite places and we'll meet some locals and I'll try new foods and I'm adding things to my own lexicon of like, I could just hang out here in my own free time now too. So as a New Yorker, I love it. And then as a host, right. I'm like the viewer. I kind of look at it like I'm like, I'm like Anthony, Anthony Bourdain is like a huge influence. Like, you know, we're walking around right. and Anthony Bourdain, we're having a good time, but, but I'm asking lots of questions. So it's combining a lot of my passions for like travel and like journalism a little bit and liking food. So there's so many things going on that those videos are just my absolute favorite. And what, I mean, again, like, are there some like recently, again, we were talking before, like some videos recently that have been, you know, like 12 dumb mistakes or you know, the thing you did about crime as well too, like. You know, like, what are the, like, again, like, to your point, like, there's these, like, hidden gym. You got, like, a real mix of content where anyone who's interested in New York definitely should follow. We'll put all the links in here. Um, and if you're just, like, into food and all of that, you know, like, definitely follow. The, the videos are cool. Um, you know, like, what are there some cool videos you've done lately that you're, you know, really excited about or, you know, ones that have popped off that you're a little surprised by? Uh, well, I mean, you mentioned it. I was... I don't know if the word is surprised that it did well, but I didn't expect it to do this well. I almost set my 24-hour record for views on my video about crime in New York and how the crime rate's going up, which, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think maybe some YouTubers don't want to discuss this stuff. Maybe they're afraid of turning off their audience from not traveling right. to New York. But I, I think they still should come. But yeah, that video got, I think, 35,000 views in 24 hours, which you know is phenomenal for me. Uh, to see and a lot of people had opinions about new york some not so nice many of them not so nice uh but a lot of them were thankful especially tourists i gave a lot of tips about safety i'm always really concerned about my like my solo female travelers coming they're a little bit more vulnerable than everybody else taking the subway late at night so i had some things to say about that um so I'm, i'm actually really proud of that video because not just the it's not all about the views but i really want people to feel safe here and that if i said look i live here and i I, i'm not moving from new york because i'm afraid but you need to pay attention to this so that was that was pretty gratifying yeah i can imagine you've got a lot of ones that are i think are pretty interesting for people to check out so we'll definitely link to the channel everyone check it out and then what's next man like as as a kind of wrap up here like what's the next thing for you anything new exciting you know uh you're thinking about uh, I mean, just, just for me, it's just about, you know, trying to grow the YouTube audience where I think you said in the intro, we're right about to pass 250,000 subscribers. So 
I don't try to concentrate too much on milestones, but anytime you hit a number like that, it's really just a reminder of the hard work you put in. So, you know, I want to grow the channel. I'm trying to do some other stuff uh, related to New York City. Like my wife is an artist, so uh, she's been working with me on a graphic novel about visiting New York where we're the characters and we're going through like the perfect week in the city. So that's something we, we have collaborated on. That that's she, fun, man. Yeah, like, so she has that, uh, you know, just trying to grow on YouTube and see, like, you know, sponsorship opportunities, maybe look up some, like, trips coming up. Uh, I haven't planned too much ahead, but just trying to grow, you know, just trying to grow this brand wherever it may lead me. Will it lead me back to television someday in a different format? That would be cool. Love to do a travel sure. show. Um, but I don't have a, like, no concrete you got your goals. own travel shows. I mean, yeah, I got my own travel you know, Exactly. Yeah, you know, we're in the era of... You know, yeah, I mean, you can do that. I mean, trust me, hey, but I will say Netflix and those guys are throwing around the money right now. Yeah, right? I mean, if Netflix comes up to me and says, leave your YouTube channel, we're, you're going to travel the world with us, it'd be pretty tough to turn down. But uh, to be honest, I don't really miss the, we didn't have much of a chance to talk about this, but I don't miss the traditional broadcasting world. I think yeah, it's a lot right. of politics. It's a lot of saying the right things. And I don't even, I don't even miss sports that much, to be honest with you. And I, I don't want to sound egotistical, but you know, sports, it's about the athletes. It's about the game, which is cool. But I have more fun with this. I can be more personable. I can tell more yeah. jokes. I can get more of my own personality involved. I, I can really mix up the content, as you've seen. It's almost like I have a blank palette. I can do whatever I want. No one's telling me what to do. I'm the boss. And, you know, my growth is as as good as the content I can create. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people listening uh... – you know, for a lot of people listening out there, I'd really think about that. You know, it's like if you're you're nervous about putting out content, you're thinking about it. It's just you, you know, and are people going to judge or hate? Sure, maybe. Who knows? But, you know, do it for you. And again, I think the other thing is just talking about you just put in the and it's about I tell a lot of people too. you know, because I do a lot of work on LinkedIn and, and YouTube now, too. But it's about it's about consistency and then you kind of figure it out over time right like you know you talked about your journey and i think a lot of people will be able to have some great takeaways where you know it's from this experience and i did these videos and these videos, and i put out all these videos and you get better and better and then it's like oh it's this thing yeah <laughs> and, exactly and it's tough to know and some people nail it out of the gate but sh- it's shit you know you know Who most knows? people don't most most people most do people not don't exactly it just looks that way later it, yeah you know every, I mean? everybody's uh everybody sees what is it overnight successes but like it doesn't you know it doesn't take one night it's like takes many years and you know i didn't i didn't make a dime off youtube for almost three years uh so i think it's i do think it's easier today to grow though and not just in the travel sphere and i'm not talking about youtube i'm talking about like tiktok and instagram reels like short form is the easiest way to grow but i saw one YouTube guru put it best. He said he thinks 100,000 TikTok followers is equivalent to 1 million YouTube subscribers. Damn. It's just easier to grow on TikTok. Oh, YouTube dude, is so sure. much harder. Video. Yeah, dude, we did almost not. I mean, we hadn't done anything. Our second video got 26,000 views. Yeah. And, and, and your second video on about... YouTube won't get 26,000 views. I promise no, you. <laughs> it's going to get tw- maybe, maybe 26 2.6 views. 2. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it's about the work. And again, now it's like we're not able to replicate that. But, you know, it's like it's just you're figuring out these platforms and messing with it. And and again, I just, you know, for a lot of people out there, you know, everyone looking for this magic bullet to grow their business or grow their whatever. It's it's hard work, right? No matter what it is. And it's consistency. And if you do those things, you'll find your niche. It might not be you might maybe you won't ever 
get to a million subscribers, but you'll have a hundred really loyal ones, a hundred and thousand, you know, really people that are into this niche that you're into. And so, you know, don't judge other people's success by your own bar, you know, go out, keep testing new things, et cetera, and judge, you know, and, and see what people come back with. So John, I really appreciate it, man. This is a fun story. Your journey has been, you know, pretty amazing. And yeah, I'm really excited too to expose you to, you know, a lot of other folks too, who I know are down in New York. We were just talking before the show about we li- we literally where he lives now where I'm yeah. from from New York are like what mile maybe not even you know, probably like 20, like 20 25 walks. minute walk yeah, yeah. I, I was and I was and I was telling Jake that I had two friends who lived two blocks away do the Brooklyn to Austin move so I, I don't know if that's some kind of like a common path I don't <laughs> I think I'm next but I do want I do want to visit Austin at some point so I will look you up because I have some friends Definitely there now. Do. Definitely do. We'll do. We'll do a vlog video together. I'll take you to some great food spots. Let's do. Let's do barbecue. I'm. I'm down. Oh, dude. You, I'm for. Look. I'm originally from Kansas City, so I, I barbecue is my thing. And for all my Kansas City people out there, I've told my friends before. Look on top. On top, they're 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 equal. But the amount of amazing barbecue you can get in Austin is pretty amazing. But a question about Kansas City. Are yeah. the best barbecue spots really at the gas stations there, or did I see the wrong There's video? There's one. It's called Joe's. It used to be Oklahoma Joe's. It's just called Joe's now. Yeah. And yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, but Kansas City's different. We're a sauce town, right? We have sauce. It's like a sweet, spicy, smoky sauce. Texas is is more of like a rub town. Not that you don't ru- do rubs in Kansas City too, but Texas is more. And don't get me wrong. People here put barbecue sauce on their meats. But it's less. Whereas yeah. in Kansas City, you'll get your brisket or you know pulled pork with all the sauce on top of it. So it's just what you're into. I gotcha. You know, <laughs> you know? I think maybe I'll do a whole show on that. That'd maybe be I'll a great a show. Let me know. Tour. You come down. We'll do a tour of Austin. Let's do it. I love it, man. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is a really fun story. Um, you know, really enjoyed learning about you know, kind of your background. You know, some of the, the trials and the stick to that you've had in your life. And I think the listeners will get a lot out of it, man. So thank you, John. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much, Jake. This was a ton of fun. Love it. All right. And we'll see all of you next week on the Jake Dunlap Show. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to another extremely fun and interesting episode. I thought it was fun and interesting, so I hope you did too, of the Jake Dunlap Show. Uh, really great just breaking down everything that makes people who they are the success the trials and errors and i hope that you enjoyed it as much as i did make sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and make sure more than anything to go over to jakedunlap.com that's where you're going to stay up to date on all the latest guests additional details prep notes we're going to be sharing everything on jakedunlap.com so go ahead go over there you can subscribe there as well too and we will see you next week on the jake dunlap show